All right. Well, good morning, everybody. We had some traffic issues getting over the bridge, so we wanted to give you a few more moments to get over here. Um, and we're so glad to see your faces, so thank you for hanging out with us. We are continuing a series entitled Nehemiah um, Forward. We've been dealing with, um, and we will be dealing with for the next couple of weeks, this theme, this idea from the book of Nehemiah, where we're going to take his story and kind of see where God has for us and what he wants to share with us. Um, this theme forward is that Nehemiah is a man where God has spoken to him. Um, God has given him some vision and some idea and some dream, but now he has to figure out how to properly execute the dream, how to make the dream work, how to make the dream happen. And so for these next few weeks as we're dealing with this passage of Scripture, uh, dealing with this book, I want you guys to start taking in, looking at how God is saying we should move forward in life through Nehemiah's example. If you have your Bibles or apps or whatnot, we're going to ask that you turn to the book of Nehemiah uh, chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 5, Nehemiah chapter 2. While you're looking through there, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Um, dear God, by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, by your kindness, you brought us to this point. Would you, Father, open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive your word, to receive your truth, that we, Lord God, would walk out your ways with passion, with fire, uh, with vigor. I ask, God, that you would allow us to be the great men and women you so desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we read through the book of Nehemiah, I'm going to ask that you would stand and honor God's word as we read it. We'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I replied, if it please the king, and you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Amen. You guys can be seated. So we have, um, we have this passage of scripture that we're reading. We're talking about moving forward. And so I want to give you some background information if you weren't here with us last week. And we talked about the first steps before moving forward in life is that you have to pray and get God's direction and plan and purpose on how to do so. We talked about Nehemiah and how he sat down and he begins to pray and he kind of lays out this order and how he does things. Um, this order is prayer and he's waiting for God to give him the okay or give him a moment when it's that time and that situation and that sign to move forward. Um, what we don't know, and, and kind of what we look at as the scriptures, is that this prayer particularly took place about four months, a period of time. Most of us pray, and then we kind of just, pew, we take off. But Nehemiah sits there, and he prays, and he asks God to work, and he asks God to move. He asks God to give him the signs and signals that it's time to move forward. And a lot of us pray, and we take off, but we need to recognize in order to really move forward, to really have God with us, we've got to pray, we've got to be still, we've got to be quiet. I have these two boys up front here, my sons, and we take them to football workouts. And all year we've been planning to get to this moment, this school year. And so from the minute season was over in November, we started working out in the gym every Saturday, grueling, lifting, working, running, having people hold them by the back while they're taking off running, and they're slowing them down, and they're trying to move as fast as they can. And there's people pulling on these ropes and their jerseys in the back of them, and they can't move as fast as they want to. They figure that they've hit this new mark in the gym, and then the trainer comes in and says, not enough, go higher. And it's frustrating. 
for months and months and months. There's some days they get out of the bed and they say they don't want to go, and they give me attitudes, and they're struggling, and they're frustrating because football season doesn't start till August, but here we are mid-November working every single weekend. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? And then your friends on social media are kind of like, what are you working out for so much? Why the often do you go to the gym? There's there's girls that are kind of like, hey, you want to go out? And one of the older kids is like, ah, I got to go to the gym. Hey, why do you work out so much? You work out twice a week? Yeah. And so it's just all this frustration and hurt. And sometimes you can't do what you want to do when you're in the middle of trying to do something that you have a dream to get to. You guys with me? And so a ninth grader goes on a team full of sophomores and juniors and, 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 and seniors. And because of the work that he put in, For those 10 months, he's now a starter on the varsity team because all of a sudden, this work that he's put in is now showing off that he is taking off and excelling. But it happened 10 months ago when everybody else is playing basketball and video games and eating nacho chips and Doritos and Funyuns and and, and pork rinds and everything else that everybody else is doing. There's somebody working. He's putting in that work so that when September hits, he can go what? Forward and explode and and take off in amazing ways. And what we have to understand is that Nia lays out this plan way back before he gets to start to walk out God's purpose. He has this dream and he says, I have this feeling, this burden that I need to do something great. But first, let me sit down and pray and I'm not going to move till it's time to take off. And it's typically about four months for him. Some of us are praying and we're taking off. It's not what God called you to do. He may have put the burden in your heart to do something great, but you have to figure out how and when it's time to move. And so we get to chapter 2, and Nehemiah's at this place where he's been praying for four months, and he sits down and he talks with the king, and the king starts to share with him all these things that he says, what's going on with you? And Nehemiah explains, my town, my city has been burnt down, the places where my people have been buried. It's a horrible place. I want to go fix it. And here's what happens. I want to share a few four points, five points today. The first point I want to share with you, when God puts something in your heart and you've been patient and you've prayed about it and you're waiting for God to work, the first thing you're going to experience when it's time to take off is favor. Watch point number one, two, seven through eight. I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of Euphrates River instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So he says to the king, he says, listen, if you want to make me happy, if you want me to feel great about life, if you want to really understand what's going on, my city's been burnt down, I need to go fix it. He says, this is what I need. I need permission because you're the king. I have to travel through some dangerous areas. I need permission to have safety to go through these areas. Not only that, but I'd also like um, a little bit of uh, some things, some, some, some timber so I can build the walls up. Can I go to your, to your kingdom, your part of the trees, cut down the trees you own and take them to rebuild my wall. Now, you got to understand, this is not a request that you give a king because this isn't your king. This is a king at another place that's saying, I'm going to give you permission to go to another place to build up the walls of that place. That doesn't happen. He's basically giving his money to help start the infrastructure of somebody that could end up warring against him in the future. And the king says, sure, you got it. 
How does that happen? Because God's favor is on Nehemiah to a point where God touches the heart of the king to the king starts to say, you know what, if that's what you desire, go right ahead and do it. And who is Nehemiah to ask this king anything? He's a cupbearer. He's not a general in the army. He's not one of the lords of the land. He's not Game of Thrones. He's not, he's not Lord of Winterfell. He's nothing. He's nobody. He's a cupbearer. He takes the wine to make sure the king's not poisoned. And the guy that's probably like, hey, take a drink. I might die. I might not. He's asking the king, and the king's granting him tremendous favor. God's favor is never fair. But his favor is amazing when it hits you. God's favor is never fair. Two of us can have the same job, but because God's hands on me, there's a promotion and elevation that takes place that you don't get. It's not fair. We both got married in the same month. Your marriage is doing great. It's not fair. I can't tell you. It doesn't make sense. But God's hand, when it's on a situation or circumstance or somebody, it just takes off and it excels. And if you want to be able to experience and be able to move forward in life, you need to have God's favor. And God's favor plays in at God's timing. Did y'all catch that? I'm using, I'm using one of our kids for an illustration today because he's, he's big and tall, and you guys, you guys see him, and you're kind of, I'm sorry, you're big and tall, and he's, you know, he's just, you know, 6'2", and he plays football, and all this great stuff. Here's what happened. So, eighth grade was last year. You guys with me? The way that high school works, that I, wouldn't, I didn't even know this, is that they recruit um, skilled players, wide receivers, quarterbacks, or running backs, tight ends, one year, and the other year, they recruit linemen. Defensive lineman, offensive lineman. Every high school does it. They flip back and forth every other year. So last year, they recruited Zeph, and eight schools were after him. Do you know why? He's a lineman. If he was an eighth grader this year as a lineman, he wouldn't get as many schools looking at him because they want wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, and tight ends. You guys got me? Favor is sometimes you get put in positions that you don't understand, but it's your season. And when it's your season, bam, everybody and everything wants you. All the doors open up. Everybody wants to bring you to their school and check you out and give you paperwork and give you, give you, give you scholarships. Everybody wants you then. There'll be some linemen next year, this year coming up, that are going to be sitting there talking about, why, did I get, why didn't I get a scholarship? Why didn't anybody want to talk to me? When your season. Because this isn't lineman season. You guys with me? Favor falls for seasons. And some seasons it's your season, some season it's not. Sometimes you just got to sit and wait till it's your season. Somebody's going to say to somebody's kid, I know it's quarterback, running back, wide receiver time. I know we're supposed to give scholarships to all those guys, but man, there's a lineman over there that looks really good. And we're going to take that lineman even though it's not their season. And there'll be 40 other linemen saying, why didn't I get a scholarship from that school? I tried out. Wasn't your season, but they saw something special about that person. And so even though it's not your season, sometimes God says it's your season when it's out of season. Y'all didn't catch, didn't catch that. Didn't catch that. Have you ever seen stuff grow and you said, it's not time for that to grow? You ever seen plants just kind of, you know, winter comes? It's winter time, 
And then February, you have those three weeks of just, you know, 62 degrees, weird weather. It's the wrong kind of weather in this kind of season. And you turn around and those flowers sprout up and you're kind of like, what are those, what are those doing here? It's February. Sometimes some stuff has a chance to grow in a season that's not their season, and that's just life that they got before they were supposed to get it. That's how God's favor works. There's no way the cupbearer should have said, grant me favor, and he got favor, but God gave him favor anyway. You got to understand, in order to move forward, you need God's favor. Too many of us move forward trying to make it our own way, our own style, our own plan. And God says, if you just wait on my favor, you'll experience point number two, a few extra perks. Watch verse 9. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Catch what just happened. So he goes and gets God's favor, and the king says, I'm going to send you, even though you're not a, a leader, even though you're not a Lord of Winterfeld, even though you're not anybody special like that, I'm going to send you with favor. I'm going to give you all the timber you need. I'm going to give you the paperwork to go through these countries with safe passage so that you can get back to uh, your place. But not only am I going to give you paperwork, I'm going to surround you with an army of people to protect you to make sure you get where you're supposed to. So you don't even have to worry about showing off the paperwork, because I got people around extra perks, stuff he didn't even ask for. When God's favor is on you, the extra things start coming along you didn't even expect because God is with you. If you got God's favor and you struggling from the beginning, might need to double check that again. Because the way God works is when he blesses you and opens those doors, you should be able to take off a straight, just run through. You should just, you're out the gate full speed ahead. When God's favor is on you in the situation that you're working with. If you come out the gate and you're claiming God's favor and you're stumbling and tripping and falling down, it's a problem. In fact, I can see every place in Scripture when God's favor hits, there is some miraculous amount of space and grace where you can do amazing things. Baby Jesus was born. Little eight-pound baby Jesus, golden fleece. Y'all don't remember that? Okay, don't worry about it. Cute little baby Jesus. He's there and he's born. And what do they do? The, the people are coming and they warn him and they talk about, you know, listen, there's something coming. You should go in another direction. There's a dream that comes and, and Joseph takes his whole family and moves. To there's all this, this grace that takes place when Jesus probably should have been killed two or three times early in the beginning of the story. There's grace that takes place. There's doors that open. They take off. There's all these places in Scripture. When you get favor, there's also a few extra perks that you didn't even think about that come along that open the doors for you. And I promise you, when you start bursting out of the gate, running with God's favor because you sat down, you've prayed, you've considered him, you thought about him, you take off running, you're getting these extra perks, this always happens and it never, never, never fails not to happen. Point number three, foolishness happens. Why is verse 10? But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So these jokers, these dudes, these people, they are not happy that Nehemiah is coming. They're not happy he's coming to build a wall. They're not happy that he's coming back to put the infrastructure. He's about to put things back in place for Israel. He's not, they're not happy at all. They're highly upset. In fact, they're going to be a pain in Nehemiah's behind for the next few chapters. 
because they're not happy with what he's about to do. Whenever God gives you a plan, whenever you start to experience the blessings of God, when you start taking off and you're like, this is the greatest stuff in my, there's always foolishness around you. It's coming. Don't think because you have God's favor, you're just going to sprint from, the, from this line to the end. It's over. You're going to run into some struggles. You're going to run into some hardships. That's part of having God's favor is that the enemy does not like for you to be successful or fulfill the plan, so he begins to attack you. You're going to have favor because you are faithful to listen to God's voice. You're going to have this amazing few extra perks. Wow, I'm living the best life. And then comes foolishness. And foolishness will cause you to question, are you doing the right thing? Man, I'm preaching today. Foolishness will cause you to to stop your momentum. Foolishness will cause you to think and rethink your whole situation and your plan. Foolishness is out there, and it's plotting on you. If y'all get a chance to read through this whole passage, he hadn't even got to Israel yet. And foolishness is already upset. Did y'all catch that? It's right there. Officials heard of my arrival. They heard and seen me. They heard about me. Just got there, just pulled up, and foolishness is already plotting. Why? Because foolishness wants to stop the favor of God from moving. And the favor of God works in two ways. One, you are obedient and God opens up faithfulness. And two, you have to be consistent to the plan that God has given you. Foolishness can't stop your plan because God's favor is on you. But you can stop your plan. (sighs) Right over their heads early in the morning. God's plan is to grant you favor. Only you can hold or slow down the path of favor. Let me show you how this works. So verse, uh, point number four. Um, forget sharing your dreams with everybody. Go ahead. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God put in my heart for Jerusalem. The city officials did not know. I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. So he gets, to, he, gets to, he gets to Jerusalem, you know, he camps out there, he's hanging out with everybody, and they're talking to him. They're telling him, hey, listen, we're so glad you're here. We, you got this timber, you got this wood, this is great, what's happening? And he says, oh, don't worry, let's have a great time. And they go to sleep, and then he sneaks out at nighttime. He grabs a few people, not everybody, y'all catch that? A few people, not everybody, and they go to do a survey of the land that they're going to start building and working on. They're starting to get an idea of the infrastructure. They're getting an idea of how much work it's going to take to get this job done. I want you to understand you cannot share your vision and your dream with everybody. Because there are people that I like to call dream killers. And dream killers, they specialize in killing your dream. I've told you guys a billion times, a thousand times over, I am dyslexic. When I was, when I was in the third grade, I said to my father, I want to be a sports commentator. And my dad said, well, if you're going to be a sports commentator, you need to look at every sport there is. You can't just look at football and basketball. I watch hockey. I watch lacrosse. I watch cricket. <laughs> I watch cricket. I watch tennis. I watched every sport there was. 
And in fifth grade, I told my mom, I want to be a sports commentator. Can you find me a school where they do, like, broadcasting? And my mom said to me, and she tried with the best of her heart. She's a a teacher. She taught for 38 years as a school teacher. She said to me, you being dyslexic, you need to understand it's going to be difficult for you to read the information. You think they're just looking at a camera, but they're looking at something that gives them the information. It's going to be hard to read that. Maybe you should think of another job. That was it. I want to be a sports broadcaster anymore. Because somebody told me it's going to be hard to read, and you have difficulty reading. She's a mom looking out for her kid. You can understand that. Don't put your hopes in something that's going to frustrate you. Uh, go in another area where you can be more successful. Plan for that. That's a dream killer. At like 23, I said, I want to, I have this, Facebook is, Facebook is like kind of this brand new kind of thing going on and everybody's on Facebook. And I said, you know what? All I see people post all these weird videos. I want to post videos about Jesus. And I kept feeling this call to post videos about Jesus, kind of like these short sermon messages. And so I sat down with the guy that was uh, the pastor of the church that I was working at at that time as a youth pastor. And I said, listen, I want to do videos on Facebook about messages for Jesus. And he said to me, I don't think you should. I don't think you're ready. I don't think it's your time. He was mad with his church situation and how it wasn't working, and so he was bitter with his whole staff. You guys got me? He's bitter with his whole staff. I didn't do it, but he's bitter. Two months went by, and I said, forget it. I'm posting a video. See what happens. All the other crazy people do it. Why can't I? Most I'll be is crazy. And I posted a video, and we went from, 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 from like five people watching it to, to almost 300 shares. And I did another video. And I said, each week we're going to do a video, guys, and I'm talking to a camera. And trust me, it feels really dumb when you're talking to a camera and there's nobody in the room and you're sharing your thoughts. And then you, you start seeing these clicks and these likes and these videos start getting shared. And next thing I know, they're sharing these messages that we're preaching on Facebook. And I say we, I'll tell you why it's we in a second. We start, we start preaching these messages and all of a sudden it starts taking off. And there's people in Toronto that are like, hey, can we get your messages? Hey, would you mind coming up to speak in Toronto? know anybody in Toronto. They have a different accent in Toronto. I'm like, Toronto, I don't know what that is. And there's people messaging me, and they're talking to me, and I'm getting all this, th- these people because I didn't let somebody kill my dream again. You have to forget sharing your dream because everybody's not for you, and everybody can't understand how God's going to work through you. And so sometimes you got to say, I get what you're saying. I understand you're being cautious, but God has given me a dream and a passion. I'm going to chase it. My mother said, you can't be a sports broadcaster because it's a lot of reading. I know that you're a good speaker, but it's a lot of reading. Hi, I'm Brian Wade. I'm the pastor of this church. Amen for those two people. A huge percentage of my job is reading and then articulating the information I've read so that people can have a bright, clear view of God's what? Word. About 95% of my job is based on reading, disseminating the information, and giving it back out in a way 
that hopefully impacts and changes the lives of people. I'm doing exactly what my mother said I probably shouldn't be able to do. Why? Because God's favor is on me. And when God's favor is on you, it allows you to go beyond your limitations because it's God's favor. Nehemiah is not a construction dude. He's a cup. He's, he's a wine taster. You understand what I'm saying to you? Nehemiah tastes wine, and half the time he's crossing his fingers saying, this tastes good. I hope I don't die. That's his job. But now he's got a group of people with and Tim doing a survey to build because God's favor is so great on Nehemiah, he can do more than he ever thought he could do. And it all started with him praying about a crazy dream about rebuilding a place that he has no idea how to rebuild. But God's favor will allow you to do amazing things that you never thought you could do. Man, I'm pre- preach, Brian. Go ahead. Come on, throw it back. Come on, give it to me. Preach, Brian. There it is. I love it. Such excitement today. Here's what I want you to see. It's critical. It's key to you being able to be part and experience God's favor to the next level, to to live this life, to do things you never thought you could do, to live in ways you never thought you could, to fulfill this burden that's on your heart. This is critical. Point number five, find like-minded people. Verse 17 and 18. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Nehemiah does this survey. Remember, he didn't leave without anybody when he went to do the survey. He took a few people with him. Remember that? So he comes back with the few people that he took. He sits down with all the chief officials of of Jerusalem, and he says, listen, here's the plan. I believe we can build this wall. I believe we should build this wall. He talks to key certain people. He says, listen, here's my story. Uh, The king gave me wood. He gave me timber. He gave me safe passage. He has a little army still with us. Let's build the wall. Let's build back the gate. And those officials said, yes. You need to get with people that have the same kind of like-mindedness. They have a desire to do great things. You need great people to go great places. And as good as your dreams are, if you don't have great people to help the dreams go across, it's going to sink almost every time. You've got to find people that have the same passion to get this job done. I told you about that Facebook ministry. Remember, I said, we built this ministry. We did all these things, and right now it's me and a camera. This dude comes along, and he says, listen, I work for Verizon. I do all of their marketing. I would like to help you market what you're doing. How much are you getting paid for this? I said, paid? Sit in front of a camera. I shoot a video. He said, you should be getting paid for your work. I said, I'm not trying to get paid. He says, listen, if you're working hard, you should be getting paid something. I said, I'm not worried about getting paid. And finally, about the 12th time, I was like, let me shut up and listen to this marketing dude. And so he starts talking, and I said, listen, I'm about the message, not about the money. He said, well, why don't you do the message and and then see what God gives you with some money? How much do you want? He said, I don't want anything. I'm trying to do this as a ministry. I said, wait, why do I get, why, 
Why do you get to do it? He says, because I believe you can go further. I need to help you get this message out further. Let's take your Facebook messages and we'll condense them to something called a CD. Nobody knows what a CD is anymore, but let's pretend that you can put these messages on a CD and we could package your messages. Let's take all those messages you've been doing and put them in a series format in a CD and bam, we'll just give them away for free. There ain't no money in free. You just told me we was making money. When you get invited to speak, give your CD out as a sample of the series. So if you did five messages, put three on there. Do messages one, three, and five. I'm slow. I said, what about two and four? I can count what happened to two and four. He said, that's going to generate people that want the rest of the series. And so when they invite you or ask for the whole CD, then you charge. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. And so from Facebook, I got all these offers to come to their church. I come with my CD, and I say, hey, bam, 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 youth ministry, you get a CD. It's Oprah, you get a CD, you get a CD, you get a CD. Pow, hit your pass in the head. I'm sorry. You get a CD. Everybody gets a CD. And then the churches would start calling, and the youth ministries would start calling, and then there was churches all the way in Nevada that would be like, hey, can we get your message? Can you send us the whole series? Sure, here's the series. Bam, I'm on this brand new thing called PayPal. Mm-hmm. Wow, look at all this money that's coming in. Now we can take this money and buy high-tech equipment so that we can do the videos better. Y'all see where this is going? And this guy from Upper Marlboro, Merlin, got to say it like you from, from that part of PG County, Upper Marlboro, Merlin, it's all used, <laughs> used all the way through. This guy from Upper Marlboro, Merlin, passing out CDs. We're making money. We got church stuff going on. Then we said, let's take some of the money. Somebody else jumped on and said, I want to help you with this. I said, you know what? I believe that you are a great speaker. You need to be better at speaking. I'm going to share some of the messages with you. If we have an eight-part series, you're going to do four of them. God called you to speak. Come on in here and do these videos with me. We got a marketing guy. We got another speaking guy. Then his wife comes on. And the next thing I know, we have a team of people that are marketing this Facebook DVD series stuff. And all of a sudden, somebody says, you should do a Bible study. What do you want to do a Bible study at? You should do a Bible study. You got a lot of teens in high school and college kids. You should do a Bible study. We're going to do a Bible study at. Let's go get a library and we'll book it. I said, how much does a library cost? You want them big halls? They said, yeah. I said, all right, well, I'll put the first hundred down to book it for two hours. It's like five people showed up. Facebook dude, I got five people. Next week, another person puts in their 100. We're doing a 10-part series. This is going to be really costly. You book the library, 10 people show up. Book the library, 15 people show up. We ran out of money. <laughs> we didn't go through everybody in the crew. This guy stands up and says, I hear you're doing a 10-part series. You have seven more weeks. I said, yeah. He said, how much are, 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 these, are this library? I said, it's going um, to cost this much. He said, I'm going to write you a check right now for the rest of your weeks. What? We went from five people in 10 weeks to 60. Where all y'all people come from? And then I got a phone call from Harvard University that said, would you mind speaking at our Bible Christian Club? What? I'm from Upper Marlboro, Merlin. (laughs) 
I know people that you don't need to know I know. <laughs> you don't need to know who I know. I shouldn't be alive half this time. I'm talking. Me come to Harvard, and we took an eight-hour trip up to Harvard University, and we spoke in front of their Christian clubs. And I got grown people with PhDs that can't get into Harvard. Hello. Why? Because when you have God's favor, he's going to open up tremendous doors, but you cannot do everything by yourself. You need a team of people that are willing to come work with you to help you get it done. I have learned in ministry the kind of people I'm looking for are people that are smarter than me. It's deep. It's deep. I want to be successful in building things. I want to find the best people that can help me build stuff better than I could have ever thought about it. I'm preacher dude. Pew. I can talk in a certain kind of way, dude. Pew. Let's do marketing. That ain't my thing. I got an idea how to do it. I want those people to come around me. Great people that will help you do great things so that you can be great so that God can be great. God ultimately gets the glory and we all end up getting blessed. Y'all see how this works? It's a circle of life. It's a whole thing. And so God says, in order for us to be successful, I'm going to give you dreams. I'm going to give you visions. You have to be obedient to how the footsteps work. When you walk out the footsteps, I promise you, I'm going to bring the people around you. Don't get caught up by the foolishness that's around you. Be successful. Keep pushing. Work with these people. Grow and have tremendous and great dreams and be successful for God. And if you and I can do that, we experience the fullness of God. God gets tremendously blessed and we get the benefits of it. But it all is a process that you have to be willing to follow. I want people to walk out of here and say, I now have a Harvard University story about my marriage. Let that sink in for a second. I want people to say, I have a Harvard University mentality about my job now. I have a Harvard University story because of the things that I've experienced in life, and these are my stories, these are my testimonies. I want to have a Facebook starting kind of moment like Pastor Brian talked about in my spiritual life. I want to say I want to be great. I feel like God's calling me to do something more than what I am. I want to get with smarter, more stronger Christians than I am to help fuel me to be successful. If I'm the biggest and best Christian in my community, you suck. I'm going to say it. If you're the best Christian in your church, wow, we got a problem. If you're the best Christian in your community of walking and living, that's a problem. Jake Thompson is one of our elders. Man, I feel like he knows God sometimes. Sorry, Jake. He's like, don't put me on blast. He's under a lot of pressure. I know. You know, cut somebody off on the road. They were like, that's Jake Thompson. He just cut me off. <laughs> but I mean, like, like, <laughs> like, Jake is like one of those dudes. You just sit there, and he says something, and he's quiet for like 38 minutes of the meeting. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jake would be like, well, did anybody pray about? And everybody goes, do you hear the record? Skirt! No. No, we had all these great plans. Nobody. No, we didn't. And we bring it back. You need people in your spiritual circle that are greater and better than you that push you to be more. That guy I told you started doing videos with me who wasn't a licensed preacher, 
nothing. He just felt like God was calling him to speak. It started with those videos. And from those videos, he started to say, listen, I feel like God's called me to preach. He's a licensed, he's a reverend at a church right now. 2000 and whatever. Just a dude that felt like God wanted to use him to speak. Now he's impacting lives everywhere he goes for God's kingdom. I was that dude that was a little bit further than him that said, listen, I want to help you grow. I want to be one of the people in your corner. I want to give you opportunity after opportunity to speak. There were some days he would speak at church. He sucked. Oh, my God. Dude, did you follow the blueprint? I gave you the blueprint. I wanted to try something different. Don't try something different yet. Try something different after you got it. Give me A, then you can go try B. Master A. I'd bring him to churches, and they said, that young man was, he had energy. That's all he got. He got energy. No material. Nothing. Now he's one, he's a, he's a phenomenal. In fact, he's teaching preachers how to preach. Did y'all catch that? He holds a class with, with brand new preachers that come into his church, and he teaches 20, 30 preachers how to preach. Find people that help you fuel the vision to move forward. If you didn't understand anything else I said today, let's just finish this up. If you didn't understand anything else I said today, here's your takeaway. It's an old phrase, but I love it. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. If you feel like God is guiding you somewhere, then you should start seeing the provisions of where he's guiding you to. They should stop to pop, they should start popping up here and there. The wood should come, the lumber should come, the paperwork should come, support from places you never expected support. All of these things are indications you're moving in the right direction. If you got a dream and a plan and you're taking off of that dream or plan and you got nothing, no gas in the tank, wheels all flat, check engine light just came on, you probably need to slow down, go on back and figure out what's the plan. What's the action? What's the move? Maybe I need to stay here a little bit longer, get retooled before we go forward. Too many people have a plan or have, have this passion from God, but they don't have a full plan or it's their plan and that God's plan. And we get this idea and we tell you off. I tell you guys, I do marriage counseling all the time. I believe a lot of times the right people got married just at the wrong time. Hmm. That was tough. The right people got married just at the wrong time. Money wasn't right. Maturity wasn't right. Right person, right desire, right dream, right passion, right hope. They just not right. And they got to work out some stuff some more. And we're so, you know, I got a dream. God spoke. You may have. You say, is this time yet? There's a big difference. Timing is critical. In the season, it's critical. If you're not willing to sit and pray and let God speak to you, when he does, all the blessings happen. Here's the last story. I married that woman over there. You're so fine. Look at you. Girl, you a whole lunch. Whole lunch. Not a snack. You a whole meal. Look at you. Mm. Bless Jesus. Let me say focus. Hold on. Look over here. I married her. And right before we got married, Seems to be a theme. <laughs> right, it's a theme. She got, a, a company took over her job, and she got let go of. Six weeks before we got married. 
we got four kids. We're about to blend this family together. Four kids. Yo, I can't. I can barely do kids on my own salary. I'm gonna do two more kids and a, and a wife. You guys, understand what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of fear factor here. Man, if God didn't provide after provision after provision, people come in putting checks in our hands. People putting checks in my hand. When she's like, "Dude, I I need twenty dollars for gas money, but I don't want to ask you. You about to be my wife? Here's a hundred. Here, take it." It's humbling moments. It's frustrating moments. We're trying to figure out how we're going to buy these little, you know, hey, these little shot glass kind of, you know, wades, you know, happy wedding stuff, all that stuff. People are like, yeah, I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that. I'll pay for that. Don't worry about it. She's going to interviews every day. Your job is to find a job. If you ain't got no job, let me tell you what your job is. Side note, if you don't have a job, your job is to find a job. 30, 40 applications. Email, send them out, interview, resume, regroup, the, redo the resume, send it back out. Your job is to find a job. That's the most working job finding person I ever found in my life. Need to find a job, talk to her. She got 18 resumes depending on what it is. She got to move a phrase from here to there, a whole paragraph up here, whatever job it is. By her resume, she got 12, 12 PhDs. She ain't never said nothing about it. She sound like she got 12 PhDs. As a resume working somebody right there. <laughs> and then she get in the interview, and they be like, you ain't got no PhD? He's like, nope. Man, you sound good. I know. <laughs> that girl is good. She can work resumes and everything. Went on an interview, and four days before we got married, she got a job. We had a honeymoon. We cut that thing down. We got to save money. You need to get to work. You understand what I'm saying? You got a dream. That's cool. Our dream is we want fun and sun it. The money don't say we fun and sun it right now. The money says we have about three days in West Virginia in February. <laughs> we want to be on the island. <laughs> Trust me. We got married in February. We want to be on the island. We ain't got island, we ain't got island money right now. <laughs> we got island dreams. Cut all that out, girl. We're going three days in West Virginia in a cabin. Why? Cause her, there you go. Because her family has somebody that had a cabin. Can we get it for a honeymoon? Sure. We got married on the weekend. We took care of our kids for a whole week, and then we kicked them out, and then we went up to West Virginia in an ice storm. Four-wheel drive don't work on ice. <laughs> She's laughing because she knows we were in that cabin. And had, what was that? What was that? What were those stink bugs? There was a stink bug infection in the cabin. <laughs> We couldn't, even, we couldn't even be on the bed for the whole time we were there because of the stink bug infection that was coming through the sink and on the walls and on the pillows. I don't understand how funny that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> like the worst of the worst honeymoon you could have. West Virginia, ice storm, and stink bugs. <laughs> couldn't even go out because you was iced in with the stink bugs up top. And every so often, you're like, ah, stink bug. <laughs> Worst honeymoon ever. Two years later, we got to go on our first cruise. Seven days, funning and sunning. Right person, right timing, perfect plan. 
and God brought everything we needed in the middle of the struggle and the frustration, and we can laugh about stink bugs and ice storms. Some people would have said, my wedding's ruined, and flipped over everything. Sure, we're not pointing figures. We're trying to figure out how we're going to be successful. The right people, the right time, God's plan, his purpose, being faithful, God opens the doors. Where God guides, God provides. Let's pray. God, it's by your grace and by your love that you care for us so much. And so, Father, would you please, would you please continue to speak to us. Give us vision where we don't have any. Give us hope where we feel hopeless. Give us insight on how to be successful, how to be powerful, how to walk out your ways in truth and life. Give us, Father, the plan. Give us the patience. Bring along the people that will help us be successful. Let us be aware that this is not going to be an easy walk. There's trouble all around us, but let us be faithful to recognize that you have put good people around us, that we watch what we say with who we're with, trusting in the people you've placed around us, and ultimately in you to move forward, to experience the best aspects of our life. God, be our leader, be our universe, be our world. Be the vision planner and let you reap the harvest of our obedience. In Jesus' name. Amen.